speak and to work in our hearts. For a message this morning, I've entitled the message, A Heart for Revival. We have a week of revival meetings coming up. And uh, I trust we're looking forward to the week that's coming up. I recognize it's a, a big week. It's a, it takes commitment to come for revival meetings. Um, each evening at 7.30 or 7 o'clock uh, for prayer. And um, I, I will admit for myself, when I come to the end of revival meetings, I'm ready for a little bit of a break, a little bit of a breather. But even so, I trust that we are looking forward to each evening coming and hearing the Word of God spoken to us and preached to us. Just uh, before, before I got up here a little bit, I don't know if it was when Brother Matt was uh, up here, just what was going on, but um, thought came to my mind that I hadn't looked to see uh, uses of the word revive or uh, revived. And uh, my mind went to one in the New Testament. And actually, I, I am the, uh, one of the verses that I'm planning to share from this morning does use that word. But there are a number of times that the word revive is used throughout the scriptures. And the one I am planning to use this morning as my text is Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. And it's a uh, pretty familiar verse. Uh, but before going into that, uh, thinking about the word revive. I think we know what the word revive means. Uh, a couple, number of words that um, in my Power Bible, the, um, uh, the definition there, a couple words that came up. To live, keep alive, give life, nourish up, preserve, quicken, recover, repair, restore, save. So I'm not sure exactly which word you might choose out of that. Um, going to uh, the dictionary for the word revive, I found the definition bring back to life. Bring back to life. And looking back at some of the, the definitions or the words that I had mentioned from my Power Bible search there, uh, keep alive. Um, I trust that here this morning, we are not a bunch of people that need brought back to life. I trust that we are not, we are not a group of dead people that need brought back to life. Um, preserve might be another word we could pick out of there. Just a small, um, I don't know if it's so much a definition as uh, maybe just a picture, as we think of revival, is fanning the flame that is there. 
you do anything with campfires or other kind of fires, sometimes the fire dies down. Maybe it even dies down to just some glowing embers and you want to get some flame back. You can fan that flame, get some air into it and bring the flame back. Or even when there is a flame there, giving it that air to, to make the flame greater. So I believe that as we consider these different thoughts on what the word revive means, I believe that each one of us here can use revival. What does it take to experience revival? I want to look at that some this morning. And I also want to mention that God does the work of revival. God is the one that brings that life or brings that renewal of life or fans that flame within our lives. But we as people need to have hearts that are prepared for revival. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Out of this verse, I want to pull out, I'm going to say three things that are necessary for revival. And going right into those, first of all, recognizing God for who he is. Revival is about God and about his work within our lives. And if we're going to experience revival, we need to, to see him to recognize him as he is. Isaiah refers to him as the high and lofty one. There's three things about God that I want to pull out here and who he is. He is the high and lofty one. And I'm going to turn to 1 Chronicles for um, a little bit of a... Uh, a prayer of David's here. David had just, I guess you could say, commissioned Solomon to take on his work as king. David was coming to the end of his life. And just preceding the, the verses here, he was, was speaking of the work of building the temple. So in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. I'm just thinking of the majesty of God, the high and lofty one. He says, it says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness 
and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. We'll stop reading there. You know, as I think of, of David here and commissioning Solomon to carry on his work, but also to, to build the temple, David had started that work of, of not actually building, but preparing for that building. David had a keen recognition here that God had withheld him from building the temple. In fact, David would never see that temple, and yet he went ahead preparing to build it. But that didn't get him down in the dumps. That didn't turn him from God. I'm sure it was a disappointment to him. But rather, we see in this passage here that David had a heart to lift up, to glorify, and to, to praise God in his majesty rather than moping about that disappointment. Psalm 29 speaks to us, just turning there, reading the, the short chapter, speaks to us of the power and majesty of the voice of God. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Here again, uh, uh, David speaking, a psalm of David, and just bringing out the greatness of who God is. Can we catch a glimpse of the greatness of God? I had to think of the God who led his people through the wilderness. The God who fought the battles for his people Israel. And even as we looked at, uh, didn't quite get there yet this morning, to uh, the battle that God won over the Midianites. 
Uh, looking at that next Sunday then. But do we see our God as awesome, as great, high and lifted up, the high and lofty one? Isaiah refers to him as the high and lofty one. He also refers to God as the eternal one. God, the one who always has, who always will be. Found a, an interesting verse in Deuteronomy 32 uh, referring to God's eternity. And in referring to his eternity, it speaks here also of God's, God's sovereignty, about God being in control. Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 through 43. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance to his adversaries, and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Can you get a picture of that? The Lord Almighty lifting up his hand and proclaiming, I live forever. That's our God. Our God who is in control. And because he is forever, because he is the creator, he is in charge. He is in control of life, to give life, to take life. Revelation 1.8 refers to Jesus. Jesus actually is uh, the words of Jesus there. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. I was attempting to do some comparison on earth to, to God and his eternity. And I, I just, I couldn't. I was, I was thinking of... Um, employer, employee relationships, and it, it just didn't work. And even parents and children, just uh, to compare how God, because of his eternal existence, he is God over all, God in control, God in charge. The third thing we see here of recognizing who God is, 
is that he is the Holy One. In fact, it says that his name is Holy. The names of God are characteristic of his nature. God is holy. Many names of God throughout the Bible. We were just talking with uh, some neighbors of ours, and they, were, they talked about a son of theirs and how they named him. And some people said, you recognize that there is something that goes along with that name. Are you sure you want to name him that? And, um, well, um, just the name that we have as, as people does not make us the person that we are. But rather, the names of God tell about who he is. So God is holy. I often grapple with how to just put into words what it means, the word holy. And uh, I think several times I've just come across the a little um, writing, uh, Harold Martin, his book, A Study of Basic Bible Teachings, he says, God is holy. God is free from evil. He is absolutely clean and pure and free from all defilement. Since God is holy, he remains forever the absolute and eternal enemy of sin. And I, I just thought that that put it well to, to describe God's um, holiness, clean and pure and free from all defilement, the absolute and eternal enemy of sin. As I consider who God is, I think of our attitude towards God. What is your attitude toward God? And as I thought of this, I was reminded of a, uh, a children's story that we have. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. We got the CD when the SMBI chorus was here of children's stories, children's songs. And the one story is, um, talks about it, it, the president. The president wanted to just leave his busyness and just take some time and talk with, with people. He invited them into the Oval Office to, to just talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. And it's, it's comparing, um, showing how we relate to God how people can tend to. And so he took time out of his busy schedule. And just a couple of the, the different uh, people that, that come in and talk to him. Um, one of them is, uh, um, it sounds like an older lady who comes along and she's demanding. She wants um, an open parking spot when she goes downtown and she wants it a certain way, not at a parallel kind, but one she can just drive right into. And um, just, just that, I want what I want and please give it to me. Don't disappoint me, she says. 
another one comes into the office. And uh, he's just, just kind of the loose and cool personality and um, just kind of comes in and, yeah, what's up, bro? And, um, you know, you don't mess with me and I won't mess with you and we'll be okay. And um, just, yeah, comes to God on that, or came to the president on that casual and, and loose level. But the one that really stands out is the last one. Um, the, uh, the lady who was letting them in finally came. There was only one that was left. And she said, she's not sure that the president wants to take time for this one. It's, it's a little boy. And he said, send him in. And so this little boy comes in. And he, he's just happy to be there. Um, the president offers him a seat. Come on in and sit down. And at a certain point, he said, is there anything you want to tell me? Or something you want to ask of me? Yeah, he said, there is. He said, I just want to tell you thank you for inviting me. And it says that they just sat together and talked and just had a good time together. So this is a story. But it does kind of depict our coming to God. Do we come to God really recognizing who he is? One who loves us, one who is caring, one who is great and almighty, one who is holy, who loves what is good and right and pure, and also a God of justice. Do we recognize God as the one who created us, who sustains us, who is the eternal and sovereign and finally, the one we must answer to. So having a proper view of God, recognizing who he is, I believe is an important aspect if we want to have revival in our hearts. Second, I would like to look at recognizing ourselves for who we are. And the word humble is used here. It says that God dwells in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble. God can revive the spirit of the humble. What is it to be humble? Being humble is, is one of those things that it's, it's a little hard to recognize it if we're not humble. Um, others can often see it better in us than we can see it ourselves. And then we hear sometimes that when we begin to think that maybe we are humble, 
that uh, maybe we aren't so humble after all. But I think a, a simple definition of what it means to be humble is, going back to the earlier part, a proper view of who God is and who we are in relation to God. An example, a stark example of a proud person and a humble person we find in Luke chapter 18. The well-known story there of the publican and the Pharisee going to pray. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, as we look at the prayers, the prayer of the Pharisee, Probably the key word in his prayer was the word I. A reference to himself. I do this. I am not. He compared himself to other people. His prayer was lifting himself up. The publican also had a reference to himself. But I believe that reference was in view of who God is and who he was. His words were, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knew that he needed God. The Pharisee had an exalted view of himself and with that view, in his pride, he prayed with himself. The publican had an exalted view of God. And in his humility, I believe that publican met God. It says he was justified rather than the other. Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And as we have a proper perspective of who God is, we can then have a proper perspective of who we are. So I related this, you know, I believe that we can sit here in revival meetings like a Pharisee or like a publican. Or maybe I should say like this publican. We can be, as the Pharisee, 
hearing the message and, and really agreeing with that message and thinking, I really hope this person is listening and is, is um, taking this in because he really needs this message. This should be speaking to his heart. I believe as we do that, we are sitting as the proud Pharisee. But we can also be as the publican here, just simply asking God to speak to our hearts. Having a spirit of, God, I am so in need of you. And I trust that that is each of our desire here. And not only through revivals, but just in all of life, that God would speak to my heart. That God would, would do a work within me that could draw me closer to him and could make me more effective in his work. God will revive the humble and the contrite in having a heart prepared for revival, the third thing I would look like, like to look at is allowing God to work within us. Reviving the heart of the contrite one, the contrite ones. One word that came out for a definition of contrite was crushed. Maybe a little bit of my definition, or maybe it was dictionary, I'm not sure, but a sorrow for wrongdoing. And two words that, um, that I think of that I think fit this well are the words broken and repentant. God desires us to have a broken heart. Psalm 51 few verses there I want to read. Psalm 51, 14 through 17. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken spirit, a broken will, pride and self being broken. You know, the Pharisee in Luke 18 had made the sacrifices and he knew it. He had, he had lived, it would seem, a, a good life. Live, lived probably by the letter of the law. But what God really wants is a broken and a contrite heart, a repentant heart. In thinking of contrite and being crushed or broken, 
Matthew 21, 44 says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And I think of, of Paul in Acts chapter 9. How Paul came in contact with Jesus on that road to Damascus. He was a proud man, I think. But as he came into contact with Jesus, he met Jesus. He became a broken man. And in his brokenness, he allowed God to work in him. It would have been possible for Paul, under that experience where God stopped him in his tracks, it would have been possible for him to, to become even more hardened and to continue on in what he was doing against the Lord. But rather he allowed that breaking experience to totally break him and to become useful to God. Paul chose to be broken then, rather than in the end, to be crushed by that stone in judgment. Humility and contrition, being contrite, go hand in hand. A proud person cannot be a broken person. As I continue thinking of revival, I believe that God wants to do a work in each of our hearts here this morning. And I believe that God wants to meet each one of us where we are. We're not all in the same place. But God, through his messenger, can speak to each of our hearts. And may we not be what verse 16 of Isaiah 57 is speaking of. We read verse 15. We, we spoke from there. But verse 16 says, For I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth. For the spirit should fail before me, and the souls which I have made. And I trust that as God speaks to us, as he deals with us, as he draws things to our hearts, that we will be open, that we will allow him to work. And just thinking of these different things that we looked at, of recognizing God for who he is, of recognizing ourselves for who we are, and of allowing God to work in us. If we're going to experience revival in our lives, we need to have a desire for revival. And I, I know for myself, it can be so easy just to want to just continue in, um, you know, as life goes good, just 
just to uh, be okay with where things are at. But this morning, I want myself and each one of us to have a desire that God would work within us. No one here has attained. We all have room to grow. And though God is using us, I believe as we are open and allow his continued work, that he can use us more and greater. And so I just want to challenge that as we continue to prepare for the coming week, that we would be in prayer and that we would come with a desire, with a hunger, with a thirst for what God would would speak to us. And I just want to encourage that we would be in prayer for Brother Marvin as well, that God could use him. Brother Marvin doesn't, probably doesn't know many of us here. A few of us would know him, at least from revivals a number of years ago at Millmont. But even if he did know us, he couldn't, he couldn't prepare messages to speak to our hearts in his own strength. And so let's keep him in our prayers, just that, that God would use him as a, a vessel and an instrument to meet our needs here. Okay, that's all I have. Um, I think we're going to stand at this time for closing prayer and for the benediction.